Pastor Chris's podcast. So my message today is about one of God's names. It's Jehovah Jireh. And I couldn't help but think of a song where I used to sing when I was a youth pastor uh, called Jehovah Jireh. So it's a short song. And maybe you can help me sing it a little bit today. You might not have heard it before. You might not know it, but that's okay. The first part you can sing because you just have to repeat what I say. So that's pretty easy. It's easy. The lyrics are dum diddly dee diddly dum diddly do. Okay? So let's try that. Dum diddly dee diddly dum diddly dee. Dum diddly dee diddly dum diddly do. Dum diddly dee diddly dum diddly do. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his great for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. My God shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. He will give his angels charge over me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me, for me, for me. What Hara cares for me. Dum dilly dee dilly dum dilly dee. Dum dilly dee dilly dum dilly do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So, yes, we're talking about Jehovah Jireh today. Another, uh, that's one way to pronounce it. Um, another way to pronounce it is Yahweh Yaira because the, we're not quite for sure how to pronounce the name Yahweh or Jehovah in ancient Hebrew scripture, in ancient Hebrew letters, they didn't have vowels. They just had consonants. So we, they assumed how these things were pronounced. So Yahweh is spelled Y-H-W-H, but sometimes Y has a J sound and sometimes W has a a V sound. So that's where you could get Yahweh or you could get Jehovah. And at some point in time, they started mixing in vowel letters and they didn't like saying God's name. So they actually added in the vowels from the word Adonai for Lord. And they mixed the vowels from that word in with the consonants from Yahweh. And that's where they could get Yahovah or Jehovah. So we're not sure, but scholars think that Yahweh was the original way to pronounce it. But today we're talking about Yahweh Yaira, and it comes from Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. Now this might be a passage you've heard before. It's a fairly famous passage, but I don't want us to ever become comfortable with it because it's a really, really appalling story if you think about it. But let's hear what God's word to us would be in it today. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning... Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took, his two, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God told him about. 
On the third day of our journey, Abraham looked and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That's a very strange and disturbing passage. We've kind of, maybe we've heard it, and it's, it's one that we've heard as children in the church, and we've grown up hearing it, but I hope that we never become comfortable with it. Because we're talking about, and anytime we're talking about a loving, holy pure God asking someone to sacrifice their son, it ought not be comfortable. It ought to be something that gives us pause. But this passage reveals one of God's names, Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh, we've learned, means that God is who he is. When he spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he said, my name is is Yahweh, which means my name is I am, or I am who I am. In other words, you don't make me be who you want me to be. I am who I am. I made you in my image. People don't make God in his image. God made people in his image. So God is who he is, whether we like it or not. And Jaira means see to it. See to it. In other words, like if you, uh, you're thinking we need something to cook for dinner and uh, you know, your wife is saying, I need something to cook for dinner, but we don't have anything. And she tells her husband, we need you, I need you to stop by the grocery store and get this, this, and this. And the husband says, don't worry, I'll see to it. That's what Jaira means. I'll see to it. I will provide. And you know, as people, we like to be provided for. In a world of uncertainty, it's good to know 
that we will have food to eat, we'll have shelter for warmth, we'll have companionship, friends. But even when everything that we need, and, and most of the things we want are provided for, we always want more. We always want more. When Gavin was two years old, um, I'll never forget an experience that I had with him that revealed to me something about human nature. We were in the car together, and I had a big bag, and it was a big bag of potato chips. It was more than, than two or three or four people, grown people, could eat. More than enough. And I was eating them, and I thought, I wonder if Gavin would like this. And so I handed him one of those potato chips. And he liked it. He really liked it. And he, he wanted more. And now, don't tell Kelly I said this, but she wasn't there to say anything. So I just decided, I'm going to eat as many of these potato chips as I want, and I'm going to let Gavin have as many as he wants. I don't care about serving sizes. I know there's more than enough in this bag. I won't be able to finish it. So, um, but... Gavin's two years old. You know, he gets a potato chip and sticks in his mouth. He gets his hands all nasty. So I'm not going to give him the bag because he'll stick his nasty two-year-old hands in it. But I'll give him one chip at a time as many as he wants. And so I just, every time he'd ask me, I'd give him another chip. I figured he'll get full eventually and he'll be done. But after three or four or five potato chips, he didn't want to ask me for them anymore. He wanted the whole bag. And so he just was like, every time I'd try to give him a chip, he was like, eh, eh, and he wanted the bag. He wasn't satisfied. Even though I would give him as many as he wanted, he didn't want to have to ask for it. And I thought, you know, that's just like people. God is there. He provides. He'll give us everything we need and things we want. But we don't want to depend upon God. We just want what we want. We want to have it when we want it. We don't want to feel indebted to anyone. We want our stuff. We want to own our stuff. And we want to have as much as we want. And we don't want to owe anything to anybody. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way God set up this relationship. He created us. He will give us everything we need and what we want. But we don't, we're, not, we're not okay with that. We want things our way and it leads to sin. It's the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. I mean, think about that. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. They lived in paradise. That's where the, the whole concept of paradise comes from. Because from where they lived, they had everything they needed, everything they wanted. They were never cold, never hot never felt vulnerable, never felt hungry, had, could eat anything that they wanted, had everything they wanted. It was just a paradise, utopia. And God only said one thing, just as a test, to ensure that, that they truly did love him. He said, don't eat from this tree. Uh, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing. But anything else you can have. And what happens? Satan comes slithering up as a snake and he says, did God really say you can't eat this? I said, yeah, we can have all of this stuff. But he said, don't, don't, don't even touch that. And then Satan gets in there and he says, that's because he's withholding. He's holding back on you. This is what you really want. This is what you really need. And that's the story of humanity, isn't it? It's the story of humanity. 
I see it in church sometimes. People will, will, will fall in love with the church, and a church will fall in love with them, and they will say they will, they will care about them, they will sacrifice for them, they will love them unconditionally, and they will put up with uh, their flaws and things like that. They just love people. And the people will say, this church has been such a blessing to me. I just People here are so good to me, and I just love them. And that, that's great. But then after a while, maybe they start feeling like, maybe I could do better. Maybe there's something better out there. Maybe there's a church that's got better music or better kids programs or better whatever. And they start looking somewhere else. Or maybe they just, they get bored with church altogether and they just stop going. For them... God and the church becomes something that they just use to get what they want, what they need. And this is the human heart. We're all like that in one way or another. The human heart is incredibly wicked. Jeremiah said it this way in 17.9. He said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And then he asked the question, who even knows how bad it is. And this is the truth. And so humanity finds itself broken and corrupt with no way to be healed. But God is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who sees the problem and who provides the solution. And that's what brings us to this strange passage. And, and, you know, this passage is so strange and so disturbing. But it's also one of the passages that, that convinces me that this Bible was not put together merely by human hands. It had to be a divine inspiration that was behind it. Because, you know, people make stories all the time. We make movies. We write books. And then at the end, you, you write the movie, you, you write the book, and at the end of it, you go back through and you figure out, all right, what do I need to take out of this? What do I need to cut out of this? It doesn't need to be in there. And, of course, people have one idea about it. But if people were putting together the Bible, if I was on the editing committee of the Bible, at some point I would have said, come on, guys. God puts his kid on an altar and he's going to kill him because God told him to? That needs to go we got to get that out there. That doesn't make God look good. And I'd be like, cut that one. And amongst all of the stories, there'd be a lot of them that I would take out. But for some reason, God said, nope, that's important. I know it makes me look bad, but it needs to be there. It needs to be there. And that's one of the ways that I believe, I know that the Bible is God's inspired word. Because God is who he is. He doesn't tell the story in order to make himself look good or to make us like him. He is who he is. He is Yahweh. But he's also Yahweh, Yaira. Unless we ever begin to think that God is our personal sugar daddy in the sky who merely exists to give us stuff and make us happy, the story of Abraham and Isaac serves to shake us out of our selfishness. In the image of Isaac on the altar, we see the agonizing cost of our broken relationship with God. We see the agony of a father 
Abraham, poised to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And we are appalled. Now, many religions throughout the history of the world have advocated in one way or another, at one point or another, for, for human sacrifice, even child sacrifice, as a method to appease or manipulate God. And thought was, if a person was willing to sacrifice a per, another human being or a child in order to, that, that would have great power over a God. But Yahweh forbids and abhors human sacrifice. And we find that in the scripture. He forbids. He says, do not do that. I know some of the other people and the other religions around you are doing it, but you don't do it. And besides, Yahweh cannot be controlled. He is who he is. You can't control him no matter what you do, no matter how big or great the sacrifice is. But the story of Abraham and Isaac foreshadows not what we have done for God, but what God has done for us. While other so-called gods, which are not really gods, which are just idols or false gods or maybe demons parading as God, as many of these gods have enticed people to sacrifice their children in order to get something, the one true God, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yaira, the God who provides, rather than asking us to give him our children, he gives his son for us. And here's the interesting thing. Mount Moriah, where Abraham laid his son on the altar, is the same location where thousands of years later, Jesus, the son of God, was crucified on the cross. God provided the sacrifice to atone for our sins. And notice what it says in verse 14 of Genesis 22. It says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And these words were spoken 2,000 years before Christ was even born. No one could have known that one day a Messiah would be born, that John 3.16 tells us is God's only Son. No one could have foreseen that that Messiah would also be called the Lamb of God. No one could have known that God's Son would be bound and nailed to a cross for our sin. No one could have known this except God who is the God who sees the problem and who sees that it is solved. And so Yahweh Yaira sees deeply into every situation and far into the future, and he works out his perfect plans for us. We must have faith like Abraham, especially when we don't understand, when we are appalled, when we are disturbed. We need to trust God is providing for our truest, deepest need. And this is extremely important because we feel like we have needs 
but we don't always know what we really need. We cry out to God in our perceived needs. We pray for things that we want and that we think that we need. We, we may even pray for things that seem reasonable or even noble. Things like safety for our family, healing, health. And it's okay to pray for those things. But God really sees our deepest needs. And he provides. And we have to trust him because we can't see the big picture. And God, sometimes his providence appears and takes form in ways that we don't understand. We can't even see what's going to happen this afternoon. Philip and I were supposed to go on a, a little hike up at Cloudland Canyon, but um, it's supposed to rain. Is it going to rain or is it not going to rain? We don't know. It's like when you look at the weather report, it says 60% chance it's going to rain. But that means that it's either going to rain or it's not going to rain, but we don't know. <laughs> but God knows what's going to happen 10,000 years from now. And he sees eternity. And he wants you there with him. And so we have to have faith like Abraham. Listen to God's voice when he says, all right, go to this mountain. Which mountain? Don't worry about it. The one I'll show you when you get there. Put your son on the altar and sacrifice him there. But I thought... Isaac was supposed to be the promised son. I thought I was supposed to have so many descendants through him that I couldn't even count them. I know. Just trust me. And if he was able to say it in a way that Abraham would be able to understand it, he would say, listen, Abraham, you know, 4,000 years from now, there's going to be people sitting at this place, this church called Pleasant Grove Methodist Church, and they're going to be hearing your story. And he's going to be like, what is a Pleasant Grove? And what is a Methodist? I have no idea what this is. But he trusted God. And God may provide a solution for you. And, it, and you may not be able to see it, but it might be just right there, like a ram that's got its horns caught in a thicket. So what is it that you need today? What do you really need? You may not know. You may have some idea. You may think you know. But maybe God has something to show you. Maybe he's saying, just lift your eyes a little bit. Right over there. could be a solution that you haven't thought of before. It could be that you've been looking at the problem all wrong. God wants to give you new insight. Ultimately, God has already seen everything you really need for eternity, and he has seen to it. On the mountain of the Lord, it was provided. In Jesus Christ on the cross, Maybe today you just need to accept that. Well, I want to invite you to take a few moments in silence to talk to Yahweh Yaira, the God who 
who provides. Great and gracious God, I want to thank you for providing for our deepest need. Not because we deserved it, but because you loved us unconditionally. There's 